Hello, I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. Today, our analysts discuss Singapore's bank earnings to be released this week, as well as our first major reports on Singapore REITs and China's inflation, and revisit property developers in Penang. We also look into Kazuo Ueda's appointment as the next governor of the Bank of Japan. Chua Hak Bin, co-head of Macro, checks in with the analysts. Hey, hi, good morning. It's 13 Feb. Uh, just a quick recap of uh, last week. Um, our markets rallied in January, but I think February is proving out to be more challenging for financial markets. Fed officials are warning that more interest rate increases are in the cards and interest rates will stay higher for longer. Yields for the 10-year Treasury bond rose to the highest in more than a month, climbing to about 3.74%. The 10-year German Bund also posted its highest weekly gain this year. Uh, Nasdaq posted its first weekly fall for the year, down 2.4% for the week, while the S&P lost around 1.1%. ASEAN and Hong Kong markets were all slightly lower. Uh, this year, I think the, this week, the focus will be on the data on US inflation, US retail sales, and industrial output. Uh, in particular, investors will be closely watching the US inflation data out on Tuesday for signs that inflation is continuing to moderate after recent strong, strong jobs data saw markets recalibrate expectations for how high the Fed need to raise rates this year. And the Fed funds futures are now pricing a 25 basis point rate hike in March and again in May, and staying at those rates above 5% until November, with a possible rate cut in December. Uh, in Asia this week, Singapore and Japan both reporting fourth Q GDP uh, today. Indonesia exports will be out on Wednesday, and uh, central bank meetings in Bank Indonesia and the Philippines are on Thursday. Uh, Julia is expecting Bank Indonesia to hold rates, uh, but Zamros is expecting uh, BSP to hike uh, by a steep 50 basis points after the blowout January inflation report. China will be announcing the one-year medium-term lending facility interest rate and new home sales this week. Our Singapore budget will be out on Tuesday afternoon. Earnings for the week include Airbnb, Cisco, Coca-Cola, DBS, uh, which we just released this morning. We'll have um, Dylan on the call. Global Foundries, Heineken, Nestle, and Toshiba. But today, we have Swami on Malaysian Macro, Anand on ASEAN Strategy, Saktiandi on the new Bank of Japan governor, Brian on China inflation, Julian on Thailand, Tillon on Singapore strategy and Singapore banks, Krishna on Singapore REITs, Waysam on Penang property, and Yuani on Thai healthcare. So quite a bit to cover. So let's kick off first with Suhaimi. Uh, Malaysia's fourth Q GDP came in stronger than expected at 7% on a year-on-year basis. But some analysts are commenting that on quarter-on-quarter seasonally adjusted basis, this was a contraction of minus 2.6% from the third quarter. So was this a good number or disappointing? Hi, um, morning I've been um, fourth quarter 2022 GDP growth of 7% year on year was better than expected, but the year on year growth was half of the 14.2% growth in third Q. And more notably, as you mentioned, the economy shrank seasonally adjusted 2.6% Q and Q last quarter. Uh, this is the first uh, seasonally adjusted quarter over quarter decline since the lockdown affected third quarter 2021. So overall, I think the numbers show economy was beginning to be affected by global headwinds as well as the uh, high inflation, high interest rate environment. And in particular, consumers posted second consecutive seasonally adjusted quarter over quarter uh, decline in fourth Q. So um, overall, we maintain our forecast of economic growth slipping to 4% this year after the 8.7% surge 
last year that was uh, reflective of the impact of full economic opening. Uh, the slower growth outlook primarily reflect the effect of high inflation, high interest rate environment and um, global economic downturn. Offsetting these headwinds include a drawdown of excess savings and tourism recovery as buffers to consumer spending. Uh, there's also positive FDI growth uh, momentum uh, given the robust leading indicator, i.e. the surge in approved FDI last two years that are translating into rising actual FDI. And also we have this uh, faster growth in China following its uh, zero COVID-19 policy exit and economic opening, mitigating the downturns in US and Europe. So, so I mean, labor stats on the Malaysian job market was also released. So as the job market recovered now to pre-pandemic levels, and what are the structural and pandemic scars? The unemployment rate in December for Malaysia remained at 3.6% for the fourth straight month and averaged 3.9% full year, which is still above the pre-pandemic jobless rate of 3.3% in 2019. But last year, jobs in manufacturing and services have surpassed the level in 2019, especially in electronics, wholesale and retail, logistics and ICT. Although uh, jobs remain below pre-pandemic, in agriculture, mining, construction, and services industries like FNB, accommodation, real estate, and private education. Um, also, I want to add that um, youth unemployment rate remained sticky and elevated at 11.8% in December, uh, compared with pre-pandemic low of uh, just under 10% in December 2019. And uh, pandemic peak was 13.9% in August, October 2021. Uh, at the same time, underemployment rate was also sticky and remained elevated at almost 12% in fourth quarter last year compared with a sub-10% level prior to the pandemic and the pandemic high of 12.4% in first quarter 2021. So I think this uh, youth unemployment and under un underemployment rates underscore structural issues that are exacerbated by pandemic scarring. So issues like supply-demand mismatch, talent shortage, quality over quantity of jobs. And another notable structural trend and pandemic effect is the rise in informal jobs or workers given the sustained increase in um, own account uh, workers. Uh, these are people who uh, depends on uh, daily income, working as petty traders, um, hawkers, food stall operators, smallholders, as well as gig workers like e-hailing drivers and deliveries. So these numbers have been rising steadily since January 2021. Back then, it was 2.4 million. Uh, as of December, uh, it was 2.86 million, already surpassed the previous peak of 2.8 million in March 2020. Thanks, Amy. Anand. You'll be marketing and meeting clients in Singapore this week and just release your latest ASEAN strategy report. What would be the key messages for Malaysia and the rest of ASEAN? Yeah, hi. Good morning, Harbina. Good morning, guys. So I think when we meet clients uh, today and tomorrow uh, in Singapore, I mean, the, the message we'll be conveying, at least on ASEAN, is, you know, it is, uh, as per our macro view, uh, quite an, uh, an area of uh, resilience when it comes to uh, macroeconomic outlook. However, you know, macroeconomic outlook doesn't really always translate into market outperformance. 
it has been a good start to the year uh, for ASEAN in terms of our market performance, for most markets, uh, Malaysia being the, uh, the laggard uh, exception. But the fact remains that North Asia has been outperforming ASEAN. So when we, when we speak to clients, we want to get a sense of how they sort of uh, stack up North Asia versus ASEAN, at least for the first two quarters of this year. Uh, and you know, when we will see uh, sort of some capital flows uh, being diverted uh, into ASEAN, uh, given that you know, uh, North Asia has you know, risen very quickly already. So I think when we talk to them, we really want to impress upon them that there's a lot of value in ASEAN. And some of the big, you know, the big underperformers last year within ASEAN, like uh, the Vietnam and the Philippines, uh, you know, are trading below two standard deviations compared to historical mean. And they have also been the best performance years to date within the ASEAN um, sort of uh, universe. So perhaps they should be revisiting uh, those markets uh, before what we expect to be uh, more interest in the second half of this year uh, in this region. So for your latest strategy report, what are the stock or sector upgrades and downgrades? Yeah, so we've seen some cooling of uh, interest in banks uh, as interest rates look to be peaking in some countries. We've certainly seen this in Malaysia, uh, where there's been a lot of profit taking on banks. I think uh, Singapore and Indonesia for, for banks appear to have more legs, and that's where we would focus uh, on the banks. I think for Singapore, we are, you know, we are still looking at tightening uh, in monetary policy in April. So that's going to be quite positive uh, for the NIM trajectory. And for Indonesia, we are seeing foreign flows uh, returning to that market. And banks appear to be a, a favorite among foreigners for their size and liquidity. So for banks, I would focus on those two countries. Uh, we are also reiterating our, our sort of stance that, you know, with interest rates peaking and GDP growth remaining resilient, uh, we should revisit the consumer-centric sectors like property, auto, and of course, retail. Uh, and the two markets which are best for that in terms of breadth of stocks to pick from, uh, one would be the Philippines, uh, two would be Indonesia, you know, stocks like MAPI, uh, and three would be Vietnam. Yeah, where GDP growth where we think will hold up uh, and consumption will hold up as well. And finally, uh, I think with, again, with rates peaking, uh, tech is worth revisiting. We've seen some big run-ups in tech names in Malaysia and Singapore, but still some significant upside to our target prices. Uh, so definitely uh, you know, revisit those two countries for tech names. Thanks, Anand. Enjoy your marketing. Um, let's bring in Saktiandi. So on Japan, I think markets were completely surprised by the nomination of of Katsuo Ueda as the new Bank of Japan governor. So who is uh, Katsuo Ueda and what can we expect from him in terms of monetary policy? I have been, yes, yeah, indeed, um, indeed quite a surprise uh, late last week. Um, the government actually reportedly set to appoint the academic economist. So essentially, what is, uh, what's his background? He's, he was a former BOJ policy governor from uh, 1998 to 2005. He's a graduate from University of Tokyo, Faculty of Science in 74. But his PhD, uh, he did uh, in econs was in, in MIT in 1980. Uh, so he was, after that, he was appointed policy board governor in 1990, policy board member in 1998. He taught at the University of Tokyo as a professor in the Faculty of Economy. So essentially he's an academic, but has served in the BOJ board of, uh, board as a board member until 2005. Uh, he has worked through the BOJ's policy shift actually in its uh, first zero rate policy and actually implement, in the implementation also of the QE in early 2000s. So since then, uh, after leaving the BOJ, went back academia, he's been emeritus professor of University of Tokyo since 2017. So essentially, he's been uh, academic after leaving the BOJ. Uh, what I can say is that um, we, I won't park him strictly in either the Darvish or Hawkish camp. Uh, but uh, I, I mentioned a bit later on the, what markets are trying to price him in. 
But uh, in terms of his stance, um, I think in terms of the political trying to uh, uh, analyze this, the LDP didn't uh, want likely a hawkish candidate. So hard to see from that angle whether the, uh, the picking of uh, Ueda would be a hawk is uh, a likelihood. So we can't tell for sure whether he's less dovish than Amamiya uh, just yet. Uh, but I just want to highlight this. The Japanese government is due to present its nominees for the Bioje governor and the two deputy governors uh, to the Diet, the parliament, at 11 a.m. tomorrow, uh, Japanese, Japanese time. Once the nominees have been presented, I think you want to highlight the processes. Each candidate will be called for a hearing at the lower and upper house committees uh, in mid, mid to late February. Um, I think the, the lower house is being planned for February 24th. So I just want to highlight these key dates uh, tomorrow and February 24th. I think both houses will take a vote to approve the appointments. Uh, I think once approval from each house is required, the ruling coalition will uh, hold a majority in both. I mean, which holds a majority in both houses. My sense is I think the process is likely to be smooth. The final approval it, it will come in late February or probably early March. So till then, I think probably might see uh, what we're seeing now in terms of dollar yen hovering above 130 or maybe a bit, a bit higher uh, uh, continuing as well. So I think that uh, my sense is, uh, in terms of Uida, he seems to have a balanced view on policy rather than being significantly biased as uh, either Dove or Hawk. The primary implication, I think, is that uh, the government might be divided in terms of rapid policy change. So that may lead to continued dollar-yen uh, sort of hovering a bit up on the upside uh, going forward. So Andy, um, just remind us, what is your forecast for the yen for the rest of this year? Our forecast, uh, we're forecasting for this quarter ending at about 132 to 135 range because we think there could be a bit of a retracement up. Uh, but end of the year, we actually think that the dollar yen will fall back or yen would strengthen back down to 120, 122, 120 to 122, but also on the back of a US dollar sort of um, sort of softening at the same time as well. Okay, thanks, Sunday. Uh, Brian. Uh, China released the consumer and producer for inflation data for January last week. So is inflation starting to pick up with the reopening? Yeah, morning, Harbin. Morning, everyone. Um, yeah, indeed, uh, consumer price inflation indeed picked up in January due to the reopening and also seasonal effects from the Lunar New Year holiday. Uh, headline inflation rose to 2.1% uh, compared to 1.8% uh, in December, while core inflation firmed to 1% compared to 0.7% in December. Uh, notably, the month-on-month -month headline momentum was the strongest since January 2021, while the core inflation momentum was the firmest since the start of the pandemic in January 2020. Uh, this points to a steady recovery in consumer demand pressures. Food inflation, which rose to 6.2% from 4.8% in December, was the main driver of inflation, uh, while services inflation also rose with tourism costs rising around 11% compared to just 4% in December. With the resurgence of in-person services spending and domestic travel, strong price hikes were seen in air tickets, vehicle rental fees, as well as movie and entertainment tickets. Uh, on the other hand, the producer price index remained in deflation for the fourth straight month at negative 0.8% compared to 0.7% in December. Uh, the National Bureau of Statistics attributed the decline to a fall in domestic coal prices uh, and also fluctuations in global crude oil prices. The PPI has notably been benign since last year and even as the country weathered its COVID exit wave, suggesting a limited degree of supply chain disruptions and shortages compared to the second quarter lockdown when PPI inflation had been around 
around 8%. Now, going forward, we see consumer inflation firming further as domestic demand strengthens, but uh, post-reopening inflation is unlikely due to uh, government price stabilization measures and ample spare capacity of goods production amid tepid external demand. A labor crunch on the scale of the US is unlikely since the China did not suffer the same mass layoffs during the pandemic, as well as lower disincentives to work given the lack of direct fiscal support to households and modest unemployment benefits. So this taken together suggests a more modest increase in labor costs. Overall, our forecast for headline inflation is a relatively modest 2.5% in 2023 compared to 2% in 2022. Okay, thanks, Brian. Uh, Jue, so I guess for talent in contrast, Headline inflation fell to a nine-month low of just 5% in January and core inflation actually down to 3%. So is this just a temporary fall? And why do you expect Bank of Thailand to hike two more times for the rest of this year? Hi, morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, the softer inflation for Thailand in January was mainly because of easing energy and food prices. Uh, food inflation moderated to 7.7%. That's the slowest pace since June last year uh, as meat prices declined uh, from last year's high base. Uh, when pork prices shot up due to supply shortages uh, amid the African swine fever outbreak. Uh, transport costs also eased to a two-year low of 4.3%, uh, as we see high base effects kicking in for motor fuel prices. Uh, we think transport costs will ease uh, gradually in the coming months. Uh, domestic diesel prices will be reduced uh, to 34.5 baht per litre from the current uh, 34.9 starting 15th of February, that's the first decline in seven months, uh, thanks to easing global oil prices. Uh, we are still looking at uh, the BOT to hike two more times uh, by 25 bips each in March and May. Uh, inflation will gradually ease in the coming months, but uh, stay above the upper end of BOT's target range of one to 3% in the first half of the year. Uh, we only see it easing uh, to within the range in the second half. Uh, GDP growth is expected to firm to 4% uh, thanks to China's reopening, and this may result in stronger demand-side pressures for Thailand's inflation, uh, especially for oil prices. Uh, just was want to note that BOT had also been hiking much more slowly compared to the peers in, its, uh, in this region. Uh, so far, it's only hiked by a cumulative 100 bips as compared to Philippines' 350 bips, Indonesia's uh, 225 bips, and Vietnam's 200 bips. Okay, thanks, Jay. Uh, Tillon. I guess we'll cover your Singapore strategy report first open for business. Uh, why the optimism despite slowing global growth and Fed rate hikes? Morning, Hugbin. Uh, one word, China. So <laughs> if you look at Singapore, um, you know, it's one of the most sensitive uh, to China's economic uh, recovery. And we've seen that with the dismantling of China's COVID restrictions and the sort of post-Chinese uh, New Year boom that we've seen there, uh, Singapore uh, stands to benefit quite a bit, particularly from an investment point of view, as well as uh, from uh, inflows as well. Uh, from a sector point of view, we, we think the banks and the industrials, uh, particularly as well as uh, more passenger traffic coming through uh, and, uh, and driving more uh, aircraft maintenance demand. And for the banks, around 20% of their PBT uh, came from North Asia, even during the COVID lockdown time. So this will actually uh, should go higher. And from the inbound travel and retail side, I think the REITs as well as gaming sectors, as well as some of the domestic transportation names will benefit as well. So to remind us, what's your STI target for the year end and led by which sectors? 
So STI target is 3,629, which is about 8% upside from here. Um, we're generally looking at the banks and the industrials to lead, uh, and with the, some of the REITs also coming into support uh, into the second half of the year. Yeah, it looks like Singapore banks will be reporting results soon. In fact, I think DBS was out this morning. Uh, what would you be looking out for in terms of both positives and negatives? And for the three local banks, which are most likely to surprise an upside in terms of earnings? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think the, the positives will be uh, more NIM expansion coming through. We've seen quite a few Fed rate hikes in the fourth quarter, and, and we are expecting a few more uh, in the first half of this year, and that will continue to drive the trajectory of uh, NIMS coming through. And we saw that uh, with DBS's results this morning, the NIMS are a decade high uh, at, at this stage, and the management is seeing still more upside coming through for the first half of this year. Um, I think at the same time, asset quality is actually holding up much better than expected. Um, and again, uh, I think that's that's a positive. Uh, and, and I think with China reopening, there should be some tailwind there as well. Uh, if you look at DBS's results this morning, again, uh, NPLs are at 1.1%. It actually fell quarter on quarter. It's at the lo lowest levels we have seen in over a decade uh, as well. Um, but on the flip side, you know, there's no free lunch. I mean, I think with interest rates so high, at some point you will start to see credit charges uh, going up again. Um, and we saw some guidance to that in DBS's number this morning that they will look to see some uh, uh, specific provisions going up as we go into next year. Um, so that's something to kind of watch out for. And the other area that still hasn't started to uh, ramp up is non-interest income, particularly wealth management, where I think the higher interest rates are uh, kind of diverting uh, client funds towards uh, more safe haven assets rather than um, you know uh, more uh, more volatile wealth management assets. Great. Thanks, Dylan. Uh, Krishna, congrats on the inaugural 122-page report on the Singapore REITs sector. Uh, what are the yeah, main take? You. Yeah, what are the main takeaways and outlook for REITs uh, this year? Uh, thank you, Hagbin, and good morning, everyone. Uh, the main takeaway for this report is that to be selective on these counters until uh, the clarity comes on rates and the spreads to bonds widen. Uh, till then, we think that one should take up advantage of the subsector rotations. Uh, and then, dovetailing into what Tilan mentioned earlier, uh, outlook is most likely to be a tale of two halves. Uh, more optimistic on the second half, hopefully, we see a peak of rates and also a peak in inflation. And then the uh, and the more clarity on the on the Chinese tourist and the Chinese uh, investment flows coming into it. Uh, so that's the outlook and the main takeaway for uh, the sector itself from this report. Which sectors and REITs would you overweight and which would you avoid? Okay, so uh, we already know that there is an increase in funding cost and operating expenses are going to be higher. So we prefer those sectors where there is a ability of upline growth. Uh, hospitality, we think, should benefit from the expected arrivals of the China tourists and also the transient corporate travelers as the investment flows start to come in. Uh, and the second sector is the industrial uh, with the new economic sector exposure, which we think should potentially see higher rents uh, because there is expected to be more demand in those new economy sectors. Uh, otherwise, we are selective on the commercial subsector, uh, which will be office and retail. Uh, the top picks. We have uh, buy rating on all the hospitality reads that we cover, uh, starting with Capital Run, Escort, um, CDL Hospitality Trust, Far East Hospitality, and we upgraded Fraser Hospitality to a buy. 
within the industrial sector, we have a buy rating on uh, ESR REIT, which has about 60% of AUM coming from logistics. We have a buy rating on AMC APAC REIT, which has a relatively higher yield, as well as Maple Tree Industrial Trust, which has close to 50% of their assets in data centers. Uh, within the commercial sector, we have a buy rating on CICT, which is the largest landlord here in for the office and retail, as well as Fraser Center Point Trust, which is the dominant uh, landlord for suburban retail malls. Uh, we'll stop there. Great. Thanks, Krishna. Thank you. Um, Waysam, on Malaysian property. Most unusual these days to read a positive report on Malaysian property market, uh, but you wrote a positive and glowing report on Batu Kawan, a Penang property developer. So what's going on and why so bullish on Penang? Hi, hi, good morning. Uh, we noticed a significant change in Batu Kawan during our site visit uh, re uh, recently. Uh, unlike previous visit, uh, we noticed that uh, property developments at Batu Kawan have become more matured. We saw more traffic and population there. Also, uh, more factories have opened in Batu Kawan Industrial Park. Uh, more jobs opportunities have been created and this in turn has drawn demand for properties due to uh, rising population and housing needs. Uh, hence, we are, we are positive on uh, Batukawan long-term outlook. Wait, so which other developers will benefit from the Penang boom? Among the developers under our coverage, Tambun Inda is a good proxy uh, to booming Batukawan area uh, as it has more than 95% uh, as more than 95% of its GDP uh, derived from its per city project at Simbang Amba. Another developer under our coverage which has uh, exposure in Batukawan will be Eco World. Eco World has two projects there, Eco Horizon and Eco Sun. Uh, it developed Eco Horizon first, then only go to Eco Sun. So these two projects account for 11% of its total GDP. Great, thanks, Waysam. Uh, Yuwani, um, you seem cautious about Thailand's healthcare sector ahead of the earnings. What are you expecting uh, in terms of the earnings for the, all the hospital operators? Good morning. Uh, we expect falling earnings uh, for two reasons. One is because of COVID abatement. Uh, COVID-related income used to account for 15 to 50% in 2021 and the first half of last year. But in fourth quarter, uh, there should be less than 5%. The other reason is that 4Q is usually the low season compared to 3Q uh, because 3Q is the rainy season. And will China's reopening and the return of China tourists change the outlook for the Thai healthcare sector? Well, for the hospitals under coverage, they have less than 1% revenue contribution from Chinese patients. So this will not change much. However, as China still requires the PCR test 48 hours before landing in China, this may increase the demand for PCR tests. And this is in fact positive for Thailand hospitals. Uh, but this may end soon if COVID subsides soon in China. Uh, we noticed that this also uh, happened with India who used to require Indian tourists to have PCR tests if they visit in uh, Thailand uh, 72 hours before landing. 
so they no longer require it. But uh, we we will have to monitor this uh, progress for China. Great, thanks, Yuani. That's all we have for today. Have a good week ahead. Get specific advice from your trading rep and financial advisor and check out our research reports on Maybank's trading platform. Also follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. I'm Noel Limonazian Speaks by Maybank. Maybank.